Welcome to the Publisher Book Podcast, where we speak with authors from around the world to find out how they transform their dream into a published reality. Here's your host, Adam Ashton. Today I'm speaking with Mark Hardcastle, the author of the book Symphony of Your Life. Mark's an, uh, he was formerly an Air Force pilot, and now he's working as a, as a captain at a, at a major U.S. airline. And he decided to write a book out of uh, a need, basically. Back in 2002, the airline he was working for went into, uh, into bankruptcy, and they extracted a 50% pay cut to their pilots. And so he started looking around. He needed to find some other way to make money, considering he just had his pay cut in half. And so his book, Symphony of Your Life, uh, has been released. He's just, he, he, he got a print run and they've all sold. And so he's just going back for a second print run, which is, which is amazing. It's a great conversation. And, and out of everything, if you don't have time to listen to the whole episode, at least skip to 43 and a half minutes after the end of this intro. So about 45 minutes into the podcast for an amazing story of, I guess, the, the, the power of a book. And man, if that doesn't get you going and, and wanting to write a book, uh, I'm not sure anything will. But if you've got time to listen to the whole thing, I strongly urge that you do because it's a great story, it's a great book, uh, it's a great conversation, and Mark talks a lot about the power of a book and what it can do not only for you but for other people as well. So here is Mark Hardcastle, the author of Symphony of Your Life. Tell us about yourself. What's your, what's your story? What's my story? <laughs> uh, Mark Hardcastle grew up in a small town in central Georgia. Uh, do you know where Georgia is? How well do you know America? Uh, I know it's in America, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so your American listeners will understand Georgia is in the south. Uh-huh. And uh, I grew up in a small town, had a, a uh, very good upbringing, very suitable to uh, a young man in the, the 60s. Um, nice. And uh, thank you. And uh, left small town Georgia after high school. Went off to college, then joined the Air Force, uh, flew actively in the Air Force for nine years, um, finished up in the Air Force, went out with a bang. I actually had uh, several combat sorties in the Persian Gulf War, Mm. and shortly after that, uh, left the military to join United Airlines. Can I say that? I left a major airline. (laughs) I joined joined a major airline um, and uh, worked for them uh, ever since, since October 91. I'm still on... uh, uh, on the payroll there at United. I've been flying internationally, 777s, for, uh, oh my goodness, since 2002. Uh, I'm just about to change planes. I'll be going back to the 737 here at the end of May and nice. swapping seats. I'll be flying as a captain uh-huh. for the first time in my career. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Coming up real soon. Awesome. That sounds, that sounds yeah. awesome. Uh, and your books, The Symphony of Your Life, how did, how did that come about? Sure. Um, you know, it, it arose out of a need. Um, 
you know, I mentioned that I work for a major airline, uh, and, and I've, I've already spilled the beans. I'll just go ahead and say, uh, <laughs> uh, United. Uh, are you going to be editing this, or is this? Uh, I can. Gonna I, be can going out I can chop it, it. I can chop it out if you'd like. Yeah, or we can. Leave uh, you it. know, I think I think it's fine. Don't worry about it. I mean, I don't think uh, anybody at United Airlines is going to be listening to your podcast. Sadly, um, but uh, uh, at least nobody in managed. They've got a few things to worry managed. about at the, at the moment, don't uh, they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Here you are in Australia uh, bringing that up. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, back in December of 2002, United Airlines entered what would become the most expensive bankruptcy in the history of commercial aviation. And the point of bankruptcy, of course, is to cut costs. At the end of the day, um, they had extracted 50% pay cuts from the pilots. Wow. And as you can imagine, there were uh, there were some conversations in our cockpits. I mean, how do you manage a fifty percent pay cut, right? Yeah. I'm going to eat on I'm going to eat on even number days, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, uh, so I, I was always talking with my fellow pilots about, okay, how, how are you doing? Um, uh, have you taken a second job? Have you started your own business? Uh, are you going to be able to keep your house, your car, your spouse, you know, for heaven's sake? Um, heard stories about divorces and foreclosures, bankruptcies, and worse, for heaven's sake. Uh, mm. uh, okay, note to self, don't say for heaven's sake again. He said it twice now. <laughs> so um, I, anyway, uh, one of those conversations, I, I happened to be flying from San Francisco to Frankfurt, and the guy I was sitting next to, uh, it started in with the conversation, and he says, you know, Mark, I, I just got back from the annual meeting at a major tech company down in Orlando, Florida. They paid me a very nice sum to stand in front of their uh, their meeting and, and do a one-hour keynote, and uh, and then they, they turned around and bought a whole bunch of my books. I said, books? And he said, yeah, I've, I've written a couple of mm-hmm. children's books on leadership, and then he told me the number they had paid him for the, the fee – and uh, that got my attention. Yeah. And so we, we spent the rest of that trip talking about the author-speaker business and uh, still wasn't convinced. I, I followed him down to a back-to-school uh, teacher meeting the week before the students show up. Do you have mm-hmm. those down in Australia? The teachers show up a yeah, week early sure. and do their prep? Yeah. yeah. So middle school and uh, down in Colorado Springs, just south of here. I, I'm in Denver. And um, – Watched him inspire a room of middle school teachers for an hour. It was a stunning presentation. And uh, uh, PTA paid him a fee for that. And then they all lined up around the gym and picked up each one of those teachers, picked up a copy of each of his books. He signed them. And then they came to me. I ran the cash register. Now, back in 2008, the cash register was a cardboard box beside my chair. <laughs> so uh, they would and, – and do you remember – do you remember the old uh, uh, charge card machines at the um, at the Kmart's or the, or the big warehouse stores or whatever your version is down in Australia, where they had the, these machines and, and you put it in the slip and put the credit card in and then you run the thing back? Uh-huh. Do, you, do you remember that? They used to, they, uh, yeah. they lasted at the doctors for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well. Mark, uh, my, my buddy, his name is also Mark, had the slips that go with that, but he didn't have the little machine. So what mm-hmm. we had to do is we had to stick the credit card inside and then etch the numbers onto the little <laughs> slip. And uh, so that was my job. He would sign the books. I would etch the credit cards, throw the slip into the box. They would hand me the money. If they had cash, I'd throw it in the box. They'd write a check. I'd throw it in the box. And that went on for an hour and a half. Mm. And then – after it was over, he packed up what was left of his books. We went out to the parking lot, 
And I carried the cash register out with me, mm-hmm. the box of paper. And I don't know how much money was in there, but there was a lot. Yeah. And uh, so all of that made an impression on me. And so we talked in the parking lot for two hours, and he told me a little bit more about the process. And I thought, okay, here we go. I'm, I, I, I have seen it in action. I've seen him give a speech. I've seen him give paid. I've seen the money that comes with people buying books, and I need another career. I want something that's meaningful. Let's jump into this. And he agreed to take me by the hand and walk me through the process of learning how to write a book and learning how to be a speaker and those kinds of things. Uh, it took several years, but that was the genesis of my book. I, I tried, you know, the network marketing, selling selling vitamins. You know, I, yeah, I sure. tried that. Uh, I had tried um, becoming a real estate agent. And this was in 2008, you know, the absolute worst time in the history of real estate to be a real estate agent. Um, so I was looking for something else. And I, I thought, okay, I can, I can do this. And um, I didn't know how to write a book. But he, like I said, I had a mentor, which is something you're going to ask about in a minute. What's my advice for someone who wants to learn how to write a book? Get a mentor. That's mm-hmm. the first thing. And we'll talk more about that here in a minute. But he was a fantastic mentor. Uh, you know, I'm an airline pilot. I have an an ego as big as Dallas, Texas. Um, but I have no ego need to reinvent the wheel. So I, if I have had success, uh, it's because I have followed my mentor's advice as closely as I can. I've watched what he's done. I've tried to do it exactly the same way. And, um, uh, you know, the results are here we are at the three-year anniversary since I got my first uh, palette of a thousand books the first printing is sold out now Fantastic. we're just about to go back to the printer from a second printing it's going to be three thousand and uh, uh the sky's the limit from there so awesome. uh, uh that was supposed to be the short version of where my what came from <laughs> I'm afraid I, waxed. I, I hope i haven't taken up too much of your podcast time here I, how, how did i do on that no that's perfect that's a good story we got plenty of, we got plenty of time and so okay, what i um i was when I, as I was reading, I guess as I was going through, you said you you started out the process very casually. Ideas came to you casually. You know, you're in no rush. A couple of years down the track, uh, but then uh, something happened and it became a, a whole lot more urgent. Is that right? Tell us about that story. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're absolutely correct. Now, I, I told you where the the genesis of the book came from. It was the United Airlines bankruptcy. We came up. We we exited bankruptcy in early 2006. I met. Uh, I started working with Mark in probably 2000, late 2007, early 2008. In the as the Great Recession was was just getting underway, but by then uh, the bankruptcy was a a uh, a recent memory. We'd all settled in. The the, the paychecks were clearing. Every, everything had stabilized. I wasn't fearing for my job so much anymore. Um, so as you say, it was a casual process, and and I wrote, came up with a manuscript. What I thought was a good manuscript, sent it off to the, the, the editor in December of 2011. And then she came back with some changes, one thing and another. And that, that itself is another story for, for aspiring authors. I'll just tell you, yeah. every other word came back red. And, and I'll, tell you about, <laughs> I'll tell you about the impact of that here in just a minute. Yeah. But let's, let's skip forward to the point you're asking about, which is um, that happened in uh, – over December, January of 2011, 2012. Then in May of 2012, uh, I went over to Moab, Utah, which uh, American mountain bikers will recognize as a, a mecca. It's a destination for mountain bikers from literally all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I went over there with a group that 
goes there every year to ride mountain bikes. And uh, the morning of May 18th, uh, we were on uh, one of the well-known trails over there, and, and I had an accident. I, I went over the handlebars at about 20 miles an hour, landed right on the top of my head, and uh, broke my neck. Mm. That's the short version. Broke my neck in five places, mm. C5, 6, 7, T1, T2. Um, had a paralyzed arm for a while. And, um, you know, most people, I, I, I'm making a generalization here, most, uh, when, when you have an accident of that severity, uh, the uh, fatality rate is high. Yeah. It was, it was remarkable that I survived. And then uh, uh, the, the, the consequence of that was unbelievable. I, uh, it was only a matter of hours before I began to regain function in my right arm. I was... Um, Consequences is the wrong word because there really were no lasting consequences, believe it or not. Mm. But the ramifications were uh, life-changing. Um, I, I got all my function back in my right arm. I was out of work for only 90 days. Broken neck. Wow. Are you kidding me? Yeah. 90 days out of work. <laughs> I mean, people have kidney stones are out for seven months. Yeah. Uh, but I was back uh, after three months. So, uh, But my perspective was entirely different. Mm. A watershed event like that has a powerful way of changing one's perspective. It creates a sense of focus. It creates a sense of urgency to get mm. things done. And so I relaunched once I was ready to get back into the writing process with a vengeance and a sense of urgency to get this done with a you know, Adam, I got to tell you, um, mm. you know, and, and I have, I, I don't have any understanding of your life history, but I know that you know, at least in your head, that tomorrow is not promised. Mm. I mean, would you argue with me about that? No, absolutely not. No. Right. But most people I talk to don't understand that on a gut level. Mm. But when I was riding that flight for life heli helicopter, that, that mm. medevac chopper, from the Moab small town hospital to the regional hospital up in, in Grand Junction, this big city nearby, I had the opportunity to learn on a gut level mm. that reality that tomorrow is not promised. I, I mean, I, I didn't know if, if I was going to survive the yeah. chopper run. So uh, that's the, the, the change that you're talking about, the change in focus, the change in urgency, and uh, got right back into it. It still took another 18 months from there to receive the palette of a thousand books, but uh, Jennifer, my editor, and I were back and forth constantly during mm. that time. We had an almighty wrestling match. It was a heroic wrestling match over how things were going to be, and the, the, the words we used, and the, uh, the, the, um, uh, the the stories that we told. Mm. Because I cared so much, and she cared so much. But that's what, that's the only reason it took eighteen months. I know you've you're, you've asked other authors how long it took, and Anastasia had her. Another author that you and I were just mm -hmm. uh, referring to, somebody who was on your podcast very recently, Anastasia Button, um, happens to be a friend of mine, and uh, she wrote her manuscript in uh, three days. <laughs> uh, and uh, the the, pro the process uh, of getting it edited and laid out published was, was uh, lengthier, but for her entire process was far shorter than mine. And, and, and so it varies from author to author and circumstance to circumstance. But yes, we were back at it very hard after the accident. 18 months later, I held the book in my hand for the first time, and it was one of the most gratifying yeah. experiences I've had in my life.
that's awesome. Another long story. Sorry. No, no, no. That's definitely not. I was loving that one. With that, it was such a quick recovery. But um, I guess, as you say, it was it was never a guarantee that it was going to turn out for the better. It seems though it was such a, a pivotal moment. I guess it, it taught you that you know there's there's tomorrow isn't guaranteed. I guess it's a it's a tough question, but is is it something you'd do again, or is it if you were going down that that mountain bike trail, would you you know pay that little extra little bit of attention and to try and maybe avoid the fall? Or well, let me put it this way: um, it was it was a while before I got back on my mountain bike. Yeah, but one of the one of the the, the life lessons or, or concepts for living that I've tried to teach my kids is it doesn't matter how many times you fall off a horse as long mm. as you get on one more time, mm. and one of the riders in that group was my 18-year-old son. And uh, talk about a poignant moment, uh, the moment when he was standing beside me uh, uh, at the head of the gurney while they were loading me onto that chopper. And he's you know, saying goodbye to his dad, knowing that you know, I had a broken neck and he, mm, he may geez. never see me again. Um, but mm. uh, uh, a year later, he started badgering me. Okay, Dad, you know, <laughs> time to get back on the horse. Mm. Back on the horse. Let's go for a ride. So uh, sure enough, we loaded up the bikes, went down to a, a local um, uh, walking trail really here in town. And very flat, very well-groomed and took a symbolic 30-minute ride you know, out and back nice. just to get some pictures and, and get back on it. Since then, I have in fact been back to Moab. Oh, and nice. Seth and I went, went back to the scene of the crash and he showed me where it actually happened. I, I have no memory of mm. it. Because obviously I was uh, unconscious when I came to. I did not. I didn't move. I didn't look mm. around. Yeah, good. Uh, but he, he took. Good. Yeah. <laughs> but he took me back to the scene of the crash and showed me exactly where it was and you know how my bike was you know thirty yards down the trail and um uh so I, and and we we have done some very cautious trail riding since then but yes i'm i'm very careful mm. uh, i as far as the the crazy you know technical mountain bike riding no i'm i'm retired from that yeah. I, uh, the, the, the year before when i was training I, I crashed tore my shoulder and this time i crashed you know broke my neck i'm not liking that trend i don't want to do it yeah. <laughs> i don't want the third one to happen That's so fair enough uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, I, I'm not the the mountain biker that I once was, but that's by choice. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, yeah. I, I really like the with the structure of the book in that it had you know you had your quote at the start of each chapter, then throughout the chapter you'd have some stories, you'd have the keynote, you'd have the, a lot of questions for the readers to answer, and the the conductor's note as well. Uh, Thank you. Was that something you always always planned to do with the quotes and the questions? I think it definitely makes for a better reading experience. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, that, that was part of the collaboration with my editor. Um, she and I worked very, very closely from the time I sent her that first draft. And, and uh, let me just pause for a moment and just tell you what I talked about a minute ago. That There almost was not a second draft. Um, mm. For your aspiring authors, understand that um, the first draft is always lousy. Yeah. <laughs> and it should be. I mean, the, the hardest part of writing a book is getting the words out of your head and into the laptop uh-huh. um, and, and, and starting the creation of the manuscript. I encourage you as a, an aspiring author to just do that. Get the words out of your head, into the laptop. Don't worry about style. Don't worry about grammar. Don't worry about any mm. of that stuff. Um, 
and get it out there, and then at, at, once it's out, you can manipulate it and, and start sure. to refine. And, and I thought I had done that to a pretty good level. I, I sort of fancied myself a writer. I, I was wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I learned that. And uh, Jennifer sent me the first draft back, all, all red. And um, it was m- many weeks before mm. I could pick it back up again. I was mm. devastated because I had, I had put my heart and soul into this thing. For sure. And here it comes back, every other word red. And I thought, okay, well, I, I obviously, I, I don't have a book here. I'm, I'm not sure it's worth going forward. I consulted with my mentor about that. He had referred me to Jennifer Thomas, mm-hmm. uh, Beyond Words Editing, Los Angeles. And uh, I said, look, Mark, I mean, you see here, there's, there's no book here. And he said, oh, uh, on the contrary. He said, the reason there's so much red ink there is because she loved it so much. Mm-hmm. She obviously, she, she immediately fell in love with mm-hmm. the manuscript. Wants it to be as good as it can be. She gave it her all in the first three chapters there. Mm-hmm. In fact, he told me, um, she said it brought her to tears. Um, mm. So when I understood at that point that maybe I do have a, a manuscript here, and maybe it's good enough for a professional to mm. enjoy and appreciate, well, maybe we ought to get back into this thing. So, uh, so we did. And as the book evolved, Jennifer and I started coming up with ideas that would help illuminate the central concept of the symphony metaphor. And uh, it was toward the end of the writing process, we started uh, looking for actual concrete concepts, the, uh, the idea of the conductor's notes, mm. uh, where you go to a concert and you open up the program, and, and frequently there are conductor's notes in there that – um, explain some of the things to listen for in the concert, what the, the composer is trying to convey, um, what the orchestra is going to be doing during a particular piece. And I thought, that's really a, a neat concept. Let's bring that into the book and use it to um, guide the reader uh, toward the main concept of a particular chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Jennifer and I beat that up a little bit, and that and, the, and keynote, of course, has a double meaning. Um, you know, either from a speaking perspective or the note part being, mm. you know, again a musical, and we put the the conductor, uh, the uh, the, uh, the grand staff yeah. there next to the the keynotes. So um, those were all ideas to go along with the central concept of creating the symphony of your life, restoring harmony when your world is out of tune. Um, she came up with some. I came up with some. Um, obviously, early in the book, we. Um, we brought in the concept of uh, the circle of life, the wheel of fortune, mm. those kinds of things. And um, um, I, I don't remember. I think uh, actually it may have been the jacket designer who found that graphic. But mm. it was it was so appropriate for the early chapters of the book that we decided to bring that into the text and use that as the opening symbol right behind mm. the, the uh, two-page – um, musical manuscript mm-hmm. that opened uh, the, each chapter. So those were those were ideas that we wanted to use to unify the book. Jennifer came up with some. I came up with some. It, it really was a collaborative process. Yeah, nice. Uh, I think that's definitely a good thing. You said that she obviously cared a lot and you had a lot of heated discussions between you and your editor, but I'd say that's a good thing. If she didn't care so much, she would have just probably said, okay, do it your way. <laughs> so I think that's, well, that's I- good. You're, you're right. We actually had that conversation because we, we fought so much. I, I, I asked her, look, you know, I, am I your only client? What? I mean, <laughs> um, um, and uh, no, but she said uh, 
she she said explicitly, I give you this effort because you give me this effort. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, this is going to be a good book. And it it has. And and she, I I happened to have a layover in Los Angeles two weeks ago. I met her for lunch. It's the first time I'd seen her in years. And we talked about that. We reminisced together. And uh, she said something to me that I had not, I, I didn't realize. But she said that I am one of her two most successful authors um, my mentor, Mark Hogue, being the other one. He's he sold thousands and thousands of dollars worth of books. And but anyway, uh, I'm the first one after Mark who sold out the first printing. Nice. That just hasn't happened before. And I I had to give her her props. Um, she she did a, a fantastic job as an editor, and she appreciated my willingness to work and stretch and argue with her until we both felt really, really good about this product that came out. And we came out with a product that we're both very, very proud of. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. And let's talk about the, the musical theme. Obviously, the title, sure. The Symphony of Your Life, and you said the, the conductor's notes. How, where does that musical theme come from? Sure. Um, music has always been a passion of mine. I, I come by that honestly. My mother was uh, the child of two professional musicians. Um, her father was a music teacher who had been in big bands you know in the mm-hmm. uh 20s and such uh, all that kind of stuff came to an end in the great depression and he wound up earning a living as a, a music teacher in schools um her mother was a professional level pianist so uh, my mom was filled with with musical talent and so she put me in choirs when i was very small and i, I learned to love and appreciate music she made me take piano lessons it, it didn't take <laughs> so I, I never was a very good instrumental musician, but I, I've always enjoyed singing. And it, in uh, fairly early, I became enamored with this idea of conducting groups. And so over the years, I've had some opportunity to do that. And, and it's just such a joy for me to stand in front of a high-energy musical organization, whether it's mm. instrumental or choral. So I, I that is such a part of my... Uh, psyche my 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 truest self it had to be a part of this book mm-hmm. i don't earn my living it's not my vocation but it's certainly my avocation uh is music mm-hmm. um so so i wanted it to be central to my book and uh, as, as you've seen i think the the metaphor uh works and so mm-hmm. it's gratifying that something i love so much can um uh, can can help convey the message of the book yeah, definitely. With uh, as I said, I really like those conductor's notes that um, they brought it all together. And I'm, uh, I guess, I've had a bit of musical experience myself as well, so I definitely related to to a lot of those themes. Uh, it might be putting on the spot here. I've got one to to save you just in case. What what, what was some of your favorite conductor's notes? Because I I must admit they were probably my favorite parts of the book. Oh yeah, you're totally on the spot. Um, <laughs> what, what have I got? Uh, Ten chapters. Uh, you know, if I were to flip through, I'm sure very quickly I could come up with one or two of my favorites. But off the top of my head, I, I'm not going to come up with I'll one give right you, now. I'll I, give you one that I really liked. I liked uh, – oh, sure. I think it's from Chapter 3, if I'm in the right spot here. Um, but I, I liked it. Where you just said it, it isn't all about us. Uh, we live in the world as it is, not necessarily as we would like it to be. Fortune provides opportunity, but we provide the results. So that was, that was one of the, the ones that I really liked. And then obviously a few questions off the back of that as well. Yeah, uh, and I, I've actually uh, – you're not the first one to comment on that, and I love that. There are, there are a few places in here where if I, if I say so myself, uh, there's, 
there are some good lines in this book. Yeah, yeah uh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And and that's one of them. We live in the world as it is, not necessarily as we'd like it to be. I I love that line myself. Um, and and there are others, but yeah, you've made me pick it up now. I'm, I'm flipping yeah. through. Um, yeah, it would take too much of your time to go and look at each one of these, but I'm you're helping me reminisce now. <laughs> Maybe I'll, and, uh, I'll hit you with a uh, a keynote I really liked. I think from the same chapter as well. In that, just uh, it says, "My wanting something does not create in the universe a sense of obligation." In uh, that, you know, just because you want it doesn't mean that everyone is going to conspire to make it happen for you. Yeah, um, I I, I want to say I was in high school. When um, I think there's a quotation early on, maybe in the introduction or, or chapter one, um, where uh, it goes something like this. A man said to the universe, I exist. The fact, however, replied the universe, does not create within me a sense of obligation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that uh, that struck me. And, and I've uh, tried to keep that in mind. In fact, it's, it's actually I'm, I'm flipping through here. It's actually the page before that. Mm-hmm. The the quote that you the keynote is on page thirty five. The quote it's from Stephen Crane's book War is Kind. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been uh, an idea that's been at work in me since early in my life. Um, yeah, it, you know there there is no the, just because we're alive doesn't mean we're entitled to anything. Mm. We're not entitled to uh, food as much as some people would. Would uh, like to believe these days. I mean, I was raised on a no work, no work, no eat ethic. Um, so, if there's something I want in this world, I need to go out and get it. I need to earn it. I need to learn how to do things in order to have the things that I want in this world. And that's just a reality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, the sooner the sooner we learn that, um, the the better off we're going to be. Yeah, nice. And even as you say, not even uh, we don't even have the obligation of of tomorrow, as you, as we sort of talked about at the start. In the uh, oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, can you here's another of, one for you. Yeah. Be, uh, let me just throw another one at you I, yeah. as I'm flipping through. Here's another one that, that I get good feedback on. It's on page 87 of the hardcover, and I know you're looking at the PDF there. Mm-hmm. Um, study. Pre- uh, let's see how's it go. Study, prepare, and look for your chance. Here it is. Preparation trumps desire every time. Nice. You remember yeah, that one? Absolutely. Um, as people have commented uh, about that one, um, yeah, and that's another that's, theme throughout the book: on. study and prepare, and uh, uh, you know, pre- preparation trumps desire. Work for what yeah, you want. Exactly. I really, d- that's definitely a, a really important one as well. Um, yeah, just good. before we head to some questions, I guess, and advice, can you tell us the story of the the wheel of fortune? I really like that that wheel of fortune uh, story towards the start of the book. Yeah, the the introduction begins uh, the title with, with the title "The Wheel of Fortune." Um, one of the central concepts in the book is is also the idea of what goes around comes around. Mm. Um, I part of, from my musical experience, one of the, the my favorite pieces of music in the universe is Carl Orff's Carmina Burana. Um, he was a composer in the 1930s, and he came across a manuscript. Uh, from medieval monks uh, talking about their understanding of how life works. And uh, as I got to know that piece, I've I've had the privilege of performing it several times. I've I've spoken to conductors uh, about what they see in it. I've seen it performed countless times on stage. Um, I've grown to love the idea uh, 
that um, we live life in stages. Mm. You know, life is sometimes good, sometimes hard. Um, the image on the front of the, the sheet music is the, the image of the wheel, that, which gets us to the wheel of fortune. And there are four princes at the four corners, one on the top, one on the bottom, one on each side. And the one at the top, obviously, is on top of the world. He's the king that's reigning. Mm. And then fortune spins the wheel, according to the, the text. And the king then falls off and has, has lost his kingdom. And, the, and then the, at the bottom is the, the, the uh, well, the king is not reigning anymore. At the bottom is the king, poor king without a kingdom. And then the, the wheel continues to turn and, and life goes back up. And then the, the prince who's about to reign, and then he finds himself back at the top again. I've, I've brought that image uh, into uh, what might be still a little bit anachronistic. I mean, um, when I was a kid, there were... Um, merry-go-rounds, mm-hmm. uh, big carousels that had music and the, the up and down horses, and and there was this idea of a brass ring right on the outside of the carousel, and and the idea was to try to as the the horses went by the brass ring, you'd reach out and try to grab it, and you could win a new uh, a, another free ride if you won the brass ring. Uh, well, obviously that's a, that's a, a symbol for life being good, mm. and uh, but then the, of course the carousel continues around. You didn't get it the first time, well. Uh, sorry, you missed it, but you stay on the ride. You don't just jump off. Yeah. And the carousel comes around, and you get another another opportunity to reach for the ring. Uh, so you, you you take that uh, into our lives, and um, uh, you know the the bankruptcy era at United Airlines was was absolutely a dark age. You know, all of the the employees at United Airlines were at the absolute bottom of the wheel. As I mentioned mm. before, I mean, I heard stories of bankruptcies, foreclosures, mm. uh, divorces, and, and, and worse. But we, those of us who managed to stay in the process, and there's another phrase that you saw more than once in the book, stay in the process, were able to ride that wheel on around through the recovery from the bankruptcy and into the times of prosperity that the airline industry is enjoying today. Um, United Airlines is more profitable today than they have been in the history of the company, as is true at American, as is true at Delta, as it is true at Southwest, one of our regional, well, now one of our major carriers here in America. Um, uh, And uh, we had to stay in the process to get here. Um, we're buying jets as fast as we can buy them. We're hiring more pilots to staff those jets. But here's what we know, and I, I had the opportunity to speak to some leaders at United Airlines just a few weeks ago about this. We know that the wheel of fortune is going to turn again, mm. and these good times are not going to last forever. I've got 25 years in the industry. I was talking to folks who have more. Some have somewhat less. But we've got these new hires coming in, and my question for these guys, these leaders, was – if you could have one minute with these new hires, 30 seconds, and you had one piece of advice, if you could take all of your 25 years of experience, distill it down to one nugget of wisdom, what would you say? Because you've seen it before. Mm-hmm. I've seen it before. We've, we in the industry have seen it before, but these new hires have not. They haven't been kicked in the teeth yet, mm-hmm. but we know they're going to get kicked in the teeth. <laughs> uh, so how are you helping them prepare for the next challenge that we know is inevitable? How are you sharing your wisdom with them, um, so that that sort of does that answer your question about the, the image, the wheel of fortune? Yeah. Uh, can I can I just read one brief passage? Yeah, that please I do. Really love about that. Please do. Uh, I I open the book with this, and then I I don't close the book, but it's in, in the last narrative chapter. 
I, I talk about the Wheel of Fortune this way. I'm talking about my, my son, my oldest son, who had played football over the course of three years. And the first year, uh, they, they went to the Super Bowl, lost it. And then the second year, they didn't. The third year, they went back to the Super Bowl again. And I'll leave it to the readers to read the story and find out how that's going to turn out. But uh, do you remember where I am in the book at yes. this point? Yeah. yeah. So, And then I, as I'm closing that chapter, I, I write this. Yin follows Yang around their elegant circle of life. Mm-hmm. Summer gives way to fall. But winter always gives way to spring, which must then become summer again. The sun passes from east to west each and every day. Each and every night, it passes from west to east again while we sleep. Sometimes my son's the windshield. Sometimes he's the bug. <laughs> and then we go on from there uh, <laughs> to close the chapter. Um, but I, I, that's another one of my favorite pieces yeah. of writing, talking about how the, the seasons each, without fail, give way to the next one. And the sun yeah. rises every single morning. Uh, and there's, uh, there, we can count on that. No, that we is, don't have to worry about the sun coming up. Yeah, that's great imagery throughout the book, the yin and yang, the wheel of fortune. Uh, yeah, it is powerful stuff. I, I really enjoyed the, the read, so thank you for the book. It was, I thought it was great. Uh, thank you. I guess just to, to segue now to some of the, the process and how, how you found the writing process and advice for other authors, uh, you, you mentioned at the top uh, getting a mentor was the, the biggest part. How did that help you, getting a mentor? Uh, immeasurably, I, I cannot. It, it is impossible to overstate the importance, or at least in my case, the significance of my mentor. I, uh, the guy who gave me the idea uh, was my fellow pilot, and I had seen him have success, and uh, I didn't know how to do any of that. Mm. And his first advice was just write, mm-hmm. and so I started writing, and and. Uh, um, you know, it was it was drivel. It was it was bad <laughs> stuff. Uh, it was it was pap. It was uh, 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 really uh, bad. Um, and uh, but but what did I know? I mean, I, I had done some journaling in the past. I thought, okay, well, this is. I'll, I'll just start with that. I did a little bit of creative writing in college, and and so let's just start putting words on paper and see what happens. Mm. And, and well, well, let's see, I'm, I'm going to try to make this a meaningful story and, and, and create a meaningful business out of this. So let's, let's see if we can come up with stories from my life, things that I've seen, things that I've done that, that maybe have a moral, uh, a life lesson that I can draw, that I can convey to my readers and, and, and maybe give them some, some tools for their, their life toolbox. And uh, so that's how it started. I started just writing stories, uh, and and uh, the narrative started when I was young. I think the first real story from my life was when I was in high school and trying out for drum major, um, which I failed at. Um, and well, and there's a life lesson. Do I do I just give it up, or do I continue to stay in the process, pursue that dream? Uh, and and that that moved into another story, and another story, and another story. And at first. You know, the idea of the questions, the conductor's notes at the end, the thought questions, the keynotes, those things for, for the reader, they were absent. They were not even part of the story. It was just a narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I showed it to another pilot friend who uh, had some experience uh, as a speaker, and he said, you know, Mark, if you'll turn it around and make it about the reader rather than about you, I mean, you are the, you are the, the, the story, but you are not the message. You are the vehicle, but you're not the message itself. So make it about make the message about the reader, and that was an epiphany, and that's where the thought questions came from. And 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 uh, within uh, a day, 
I'd gone back and added questions at the end of each chapter, mm. showed it to the same guy the next day. In fact, it was on a layover when I wrote those questions, and we <laughs> flew again that night. And it's like, okay, here, Steve, is this what you were had in mind? He said, absolutely, exactly, perfect. Now there, you've involved and engaged the reader mm -hmm. in the story. You've given them something to think about, a way to relate to your story mm. and learn from it. So that was another uh, important lesson for me. And everything I've done since then with regard to writing, with regard to speaking, uh, has been a. I've tried to remind myself it's not about me. It's mm -hmm. never about me. It's always about the audience, whether that audience is listening to me or reading my story. So um, uh, that was important. Um, and then, of course, the, the more technical aspects, uh, once the manuscript started to come to an end, uh, I, I had to go back to Mark and say, okay, I, I think I need an editor now. I've edited it to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. uh, I need an editor from what everybody tells me, and I don't know how to do that. And this is what my mentor said. He said, don't worry about it. I know how to do that. Call this number. And he gave me Jennifer Thomas's phone number over in Los Angeles. And uh, like I said before, I don't have an ego need to reinvent the wheel. He said, call this number. She's my editor. That's all I needed to know. So Jennifer and I struggled as we talked about and got the manuscript uh, going. And, and uh, then we had to decide, okay, do I want hardcover or paperback? Mm. And, and that's a, a question that every author needs to consider. Um, and, and here are the conversations that I had with Mark. Uh, he said, okay, uh, what do you want the book to say before anybody mm. ever opens it? And I never thought of that. Uh, you pick a book up in Barnes and & Noble and, uh, or, or you see a cover on Amazon and, and you, the book already speaks from the, the graphics on the cover uh, to whether it's hardcover or paperback, those all th those things all say something to the the potential reader, and and I thought, you know, I want uh, with the kind of message I'm trying to convey, I want to have as much class as I can establish mm -hmm. um, in the book. I want it to be as high level of a message before they ever open it as sure. I can create, and the way to do that is to use hardcover, and so that means now I'm going to need a dust jacket. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Mark, I, I guess I'm going to need a dust jacket. Now, I don't know how to produce that. He said, don't worry about it. I do. Here, call this <laughs> Handed me a phone number of um, Lisa Connor here in the suburbs of Denver. Um, uh, and she did magnificent work creating the cover. And uh, Now, I, I don't remember. Did the PDF have a, a, an image? Or you've seen the, the image on uh, Amazon, I'm sure. Yes, and uh, I did, so I did have cover. it on there, yeah. Yeah. So, you, you know... I can say this is a magnificent cover because I mm. didn't create it. <laughs> and I'm, I'm hugely um, uh, proud of this. And, you know, the, the violin here image on the front, people pick up this book, and you can see it's all glossy. Mm. Uh, and, and without fail, almost every time they pick it up and they, they stroke the violin, they, they touch it because uh, it's just so beautiful. Um, but, again, my mentor was instrumental in doing that. And let me just pause right here and say this. Um, you know, I'm, I grew up in the South. I, I had a, a, a great upbringing, a, a decent education. Um, I, I've, I've, I've become a pilot. You know, I, I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, pilots are not known for their intellect. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just a, a crew dog. I fly jets. Um, but here's something I learned at college. Uh, if it, the most successful people surround themselves with people that are smarter than themselves. Mm. And I had the good fortune of having a mentor who knew what he was doing, mm. and he was able to point me to people 
uh, who are better at this kind of stuff than I could ever be. Sure. Uh, Jennifer's much better as an editor. Uh, Lisa's much better as a, a graphic designer. So I had the good fortune of being able to hire a team of experts who were far smarter than me, far more talented than me. And because of that, the book's a much better product. Fantastic. So uh, that's that's uh, where they came from. And and here's something else. Uh, you know, I these barcodes on the back of the of the book. I, I never noticed them before. I, I mean, <laughs> I knew they were merchandise. I mean, they scan it at the grocery store or at the, at the, at the Barnes & Noble. They, they scan it. It comes up with a price. I didn't know where they came from, but you mm. got to get those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and Mark told me how to do that. And, this, and the same thing on the inside there, the, what we call the front matter. You know what that is. Mm-hmm. And for your listeners, front matter is the copyright page and all the technical stuff that's on there. And uh, I, I've got my, my copyright permissions on that page and that kind of thing. But there's a section on there called Publishers Cataloging and Publication Information. And for, for those in, in America, that's uh, you know, our, our Library of Congress has information on every single book that's ever been written. And so you've got to go get that stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. Mark did. So uh, you know, everybody can't work with my coach, Mark Hogue. But what you can do is you can find in any city um, a, what's known in America as a book shepherd. Um, or a book coach who can take you through that process. And for anyone who's here in Denver, I can I can gladly give you some recommendations mm-hmm. um, of people that I know who do that kind of work. But wherever you are in the world, you can find a, a mentor, a book coach who can help you go from from concept in your head to you know a thousand books in your garage um, with with excellent advice and good coaching. I'd say that's that's good advice. I I guess as a as a listener, they might be thinking, where do I find these people? But they're out there. And as you say, that having that mentor, they just know what needs to be done. You know, the the book is a big part of it. There's in the the bit that you write, but as you mentioned, there's all these other things that you just wouldn't think of. The barcode, right. the, the the front matter, all this stuff that you wouldn't, I guess, you wouldn't consider until you get to that point, and you think, oh, what the hell do I do now? Um, exactly. So I, say, I, I had no idea. Up. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say you're spot on. I just got. Um, I'm looking at a, a bunch of boxes in, in there. I'm about a month a month ago. I got my uh, my books delivered, and as you said, when you first uh, you said you you first opened that that box and you first held that book in your hand, it was one of the the most uh, magnificent feelings of your life. Can you tell us about that that feeling and that all coming together and opening that uh, box and holding that first book? Oh, this 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 is a story. In fact, this this is uh, that that. First day is, uh, you know, I, I've told you my first printing is sold out. We're getting ready to do the second printing, and as part of the second printing, I added, um, I added a little bit of text to the preface, and this story is part of the preface. Mm. Now, picture this. Um, well, you know, uh, before the books all get printed, the printer creates uh, author approval copies. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, did you get a, an approval copy from your printer before you okayed yes. the whole print run? Yeah, I yep. did too. And I got two copies, and Jennifer over in L.A. got two copies. So now here we are. Uh, it's weeks before I'm supposed to have them, just a, a week before the print run is supposed to begin. I have two copies. Jennifer has two copies. There are four copies of the book in the world. And I got, them, uh, I got mine on a Thursday afternoon and opened the the envelope and uh, this sense of euphoria overcame me and uh, uh, I knew what was on the inside but I couldn't help but open it up and start looking at the words that I had created out of my head now on paper and that that euphoria lasted for quite some time well the next day was a Friday and 
our neighborhood had an, an, an entire neighborhood garage sale. Now, that's something that's fairly common over here. Uh, you know, individual houses can have garage sales, but when you can have a whole neighborhood, everybody gets more traffic. Uh, and so I, that was the weekend our neighborhood's going to have the garage sale. So um, that afternoon... I, my lawn was littered with a bunch of crap that I didn't need anymore, <laughs> and I had taken a lawn chair and set it up at the top of my driveway, my back up against the garage, and I'm, I'm, while I'm waiting for people to come by, I'm holding this book in my hand and enjoying the, the gloss of the cover and the richness of the colors and the, 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 the smell of the, of the, the book you know, from, the, from the press mm-hmm. and looking at all the graphics that Jennifer and I had designed, seeing them in, in – in real life for the first time and basking in this euphoria. Now, this must have shown on my face because moments later, here comes this minivan. It comes screeching up to a halt in front of my house. The, the door slides back. All these adults start piling out. The first woman steps out of the van. Her foot hits the sidewalk, and she doesn't even walk up to me. She <laughs> yells across the yard, that must be a great book. <laughs> so... I, I jumped out of my, my chair like a, uh, like a puppy dog looking for approval, ran up to her and said, yeah, yeah, look at this book, look at this book, handed it to her, and, uh, uh, and she took it and looked at the front cover, looked at the title, turned it over, read the first line on the back, and you know, the headline on the back says, how do you respond when fortune challenges you with difficult times? She saw that. She looked at the flaps on the dust cover, flipped through, read the table of contents. And she said, you know, I think this book might help me. And my heart leapt. Mm. And but I managed to contain myself for a moment. I said, I, that, I, I love that. Thank you for saying that. But tell me why. And she lifted the hem of her sweatshirt. And I saw a pouch of medicine attached to her belt with a line going into her abdomen. And she said, I'm fighting breast cancer. Mm. And I was compelled. I grabbed a pen, signed it, said, here, please, please take this book. And I, I, I haven't heard from her. But I did hear from her neighbor few weeks later who said how much she had enjoyed and appreciated and been inspired by that book and I thought of a story from my friend Mark he, he goes around he, he just talks all over the country to middle schoolers high schoolers and when he goes to elementary schools he plays this little game with them and talks to them about where where cell phones came from and when you and I were growing up you know phones were attached to the wall <laughs> and then and then there were walk around phones you know with the base station and the wire that stuck out but then they turned into cell phones. All these were new ideas for people. And so he, he asked these elementary school kids, he says, who here has a, a big dream, a dream so big you can't wait to make it happen? And, and all these little elementary school kids all raised their hands. And then he says, hurry up. We're waiting on you. Mm. You're going to change the world. And when I handed over that book... One of the four that existed in the world. I could hear the universe saying, thanks, Mark. We'll mm-hmm. take it from here. We've been waiting on you. And I, I've never lost that feeling. Mm. And I've, I've, had, I've had people 
tell me those kinds of stories ever since. Um, but that was that was my introduction to the book. That was my I, I saw it for the first time, and then uh, mm-hmm. you know two weeks later, here comes the palette of a thousand books, and and uh, you know I mean when when you write a book. You think it's going to be good. You hope it's going to be good, or you wouldn't. And you think it'll sell, or you wouldn't invest the money and the time and, and all the effort to create this project if you if you really didn't think it was going to be a success. But you never really, really know until the books arrive, and you sell the first one, and then you sell another one, and you sell another one, and you sell another one, and and then you know. Um. So, a month later, the books came, and there they were. Now what do I do? Well, I, I opened the first crate, and I made myself a, an appointment at the local Optimist Club, the local Kiwanis Club, the local Rotary Club. Started speaking, and they started selling. And um, and it was incredibly gratifying to recognize that this book had, had a mission, and it, mm. was going to, it was going to get to the people who are supposed to have it. Mm. Um, so... That's my experience of, of receiving my my book and then seeing it go out into the world. Um, and now I'm so excited to have mm. the second underway. I can't wait for it to come. It, it took me a while. Like I said, I'm, I'm an airline pilot. I, I, I didn't wear the coat of author easily. But having seen my book come, seen it sell, seen the first printing sell out, you, you can't see it now. But for those of you who are listening, I'm – we're on visual Skype. This is my tweed jacket with the leather patches on the elbow I'm wearing. I, I wear the coat of the author very comfortably now. I identify as an author. And, and that, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been gratifying to see the book come and, and, uh, and, and take on its own life. Mark, that was a, a powerful story that um, it really highlights the, the power of a book for sure and getting it done and getting it, as you say, the, the universe doesn't owe you anything, but once you commit and get it out there, uh, things start to happen. So Absolutely. I really appreciate that story. And I think that's a good place to finish up. Just as we finish up, where can, where can people find more about you? Where can they, find, where can they grab your book? Yeah, um, the best place to get my book is just right on Amazon, uh, amazon.com. It's available in uh, either hardcover or ebook. Uh, obviously, on Amazon, it's uh, a Kindle version. For those of your audience who prefer the iBooks or Kobo or some other format uh, in ebook, it's available in whatever your preferred ebook format is. Um, hardcover is available on on Amazon.com. Um, so, uh, so go there to get the book about me and my speaking. Um, uh, my website is SymphonyOfYourLife.com. Obviously, that's based on the book. The book is The Symphony of Your Life, Restoring Harmony When Your World is Out of Tune. So my my website, symphonyofyourlife.com, and you can find uh, excerpts uh, from my story. You can find links to my blog, um, which is uh, thesymphonyofyourlifeblog.com, and uh, photos uh, uh, and links to uh, YouTube speeches. And if you want to go directly to my YouTube channel, that is... Mark Hardcastle dash the Symphony of Your Life, mm-hmm. and find plenty of uh, samples of my speaking there um, that maybe you'll enjoy. I hope you will. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time today, and thanks so much for the book. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed this conversation and 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 hearing about the power of the book. Uh, so I guess yeah, just all the best for for the next print run. 
Thank you so much, Adam. It's, it's been a pleasure to be here. You're a gentleman and a scholar, and I so appreciate the invitation. I've enjoyed talking with you, and, and I look forward to seeing this thing online. publish a book podcast we hope you learned something along the way for more interviews with authors from around the world subscribe to the podcast or visit publishabookpodcast.com